This message is a presentation of Vortex Church in Albemarle, North Carolina. For more information about the ministry of Vortex Church, please visit us online at vortexchurch.com. I want to tell you something about my wife. Nobody really knows this about her. She is an emotional ninja. She's an emotional ninja. It's, it's remarkable over the years that I've known her, just the way that in subtle ways she can just sneak up on you. I'm going to give you an example. I'll give you an example. I'm sure there are no husbands that can identify with what I'm about to share you. All right. The other day we're having a conversation, and, and my wife is I'm, I'm talking to her about, about a woman that I met, and, and we were in a large group of people. So she was trying to figure out who it was. And I said, well, she was the one with the brown hair. She was the one that was wearing the red shirt. And she goes, well, Kevin, there were lots of people with brown hair and red shirts. And I was like, all right, well, what can I more clearly give as a picture so that she can figure out who this woman was? And, and I said, well, she was a little heavier. And I did say that, okay? I said, a little heavier. Please don't judge me, all right? Please don't judge me for using that terminology. I did. And I saw this happen in her face. The inquisitive smile disappeared. And a very serious look came on her face. And she said, I know who you're talking about. And if you think she's heavy, you must think I'm heavy. (laughs) And I I was looking, what? I, I didn't say that. And I'm like shrinking back. And I do what guys do in that moment, right? In that moment, guys were like, I got to go to the bathroom. <laughs> Amanda's outside the bathroom knocking on the door. Hey, Kevin, can we talk about this? No, I'm doing number two. It's smelly. You don't want to come in here. <laughs> Leave me alone. I found this out early when we were dating, right? When we were dating because I'd had a really, really rough week. I mean, I'm talking like one of those weeks that at the end of the week, you're just depressed. And, and you, you need like a serious injection of Prozac, right, on Friday afternoon. That's really the kind of week that I had had. And, and, and Amanda called me and, and she said, honey, there's a movie that's coming out this week. It's awesome. I've read the book. It was amazing. And, uh, and, and she starts sharing with me the details. Uh, apparently, the, the movie was filmed in eastern North Carolina. We actually were in the town when it was being filmed. And I thought, yeah, that'd be great. Why not go see a movie? I love films. You guys know that. I love, I love watching films. And so we go. It was um, this movie called A Walk to Remember, <laughs> which is about a young couple that falls in love. And a woman, the girl gets cancer and dies. And I'm walking out of there, I'm just a wreck. I'm like emotionally, I'm just destroyed. I'm like, golly, you sneak up on me. And that's just how life happens sometimes, isn't it? Life just sneaks up on you. You're making a comment and you didn't expect it to go that way. You were going to see a film with your wife and you didn't expect it to come out that way, but that is exactly what happens in life. And if you're a fan of the TV show, The Walking Dead, you have seen time and time and time again that we can't live and navigate this world without encountering difficulty. Let me share with you what Jesus said in John 
16.33, Jesus said these words, In this godless world, you will continue to experience difficulty. In this godless world, you will continue to experience difficulty. And most of us, in subtle ways, our, our culture has presented the gospel in a way that we, we, as a culture, have bought into this. If I follow Jesus, nothing will happen that's bad to me. If I, if I decide to go all in and buy into this thing, if I decide to really go after God and to let God be the absolute center of my life, then, then I'm going to have a good and happy life. Very quickly to find that all we did was step into the stream of resistance that we had just been carried on for so long. Jesus says that we live in a godless world and because we live in this world, there is going to be resistance that comes against us. We're going to experience difficulty. It's going to happen and some of that happens for this reason. Sometimes it's because we sin. Sometimes we experience trouble in life because we broke the law. Maybe the law, the governing law, but perhaps we broke God's law and we stepped out and instead of following God's plan, we started to execute our own plan. And we run into difficulty because of that, because we blew it. And most of us don't like that. In the moment, we're quite okay with you caught me. There's going to be repercussions. But two months, six months, one year later, we don't like to deal with the fact that there might be trouble that exists because we blew it. But sometimes we don't live through tragedy that happens just because we blew it. But sometimes we're affected by other people's sin. There are people that are in here today, and I know your stories. And I know that other people blew it, sinned against you, hurt you, wounded you, victimized you. And it wasn't your fault, but there is tragedy because someone else sinned. Because someone else blew it, this negative resistance to the gospel entered into our lives. And then sometimes, it's just the fact that we live in a broken world. When sin entered the world, it shattered everything. So as a two-year-old, my, my daughter is now two. She's right at the place right now where I can talk to her. Most of the time, it's, it's about Yo Gabba Gabba or Mickey Mouse or about crafts or something that she wants to do. We're not really talking about stuff that I want to do right now. But we can have a little conversation. When I was two years old, my mom noticed something right at the same point. She noticed that if she stood in front of me and she tried to talk to me, that I would respond, but if I wasn't looking at her, I wouldn't. Now, there's a lot of two-year-olds that don't respond at all, right? 
But she was concerned and she took me to the doctor to find out that I had lost my hearing. As a two-year-old, I was completely deaf with two eardrums that had been completely obliterated. When I go to the doctors now and they go to check my ears, they look in and they go, whoa, (laughs) whoa, look at that. You've had some surgeries, haven't you? And the truth is, yes, I have. They actually had to open up the side of my head and take out muscle tissue that is similar to what the eardrums are made of to reconstruct my eardrums. I went through 10 surgeries from the time that I was 2 to the time that I was 12 to repair the damage that was done. And by God's grace, the hearing loss that I have right now is only the equivalent of someone who's listened to loud music in the car. By God's grace. Ten days after that last surgery with my ear canal still packed with gauze, with band-aids still over my ears. Ten days after that last surgery, I was in a gasoline explosion and burned over 25% of my body. I was 12 years old. It was August the 12th, 1988. It was the summer in between my fifth and sixth grade year. I was entering a brand new school that I would not even go to until after Christmas break. I was taken from my grandmother's house where the accident happened, rushed to Albemarle and then rushed very quickly to Charlotte. I sat in a burn unit with NASCAR guys. They initially wondered if it were possibly life-threatening. At times, they thought that I might lose my ears. I had multiple surgeries after that. And I say that today to share with you the fact that in my backdrop, the backdrop of my life, that tragedy and difficulty is not something that is foreign to me. It's not something that has been at arm's length for me. The truth is, is that for most of my childhood, it was something that was a continual part of it. Middle school was quite difficult, being the kid who missed half of sixth grade and came back with a face that was completely burned. And there's some things that I would like to share with you to help you navigate your tragedy because most of us today walk in carrying something that was tragic. And if you don't have that, just get ready because life is going to deal you that hand eventually. The first thing is this. It's not always helpful to ask the question why. It's not always helpful to ask the question why. I remember very distinctly as an older teenager, I was around a, 
a man and his family had been through a remarkable amount of tragedy. And he told me one day, I remember this so distinctly, he said, you know, you could spend a lifetime asking why, but every once in a while something will happen and I'll go, I see why. I see why. I see why that happened now. He said, but I could spend, there's hundreds of things that still exist that I don't know why for. And I could spend the rest of my life asking, God, why? But look at this verse out of Isaiah 55. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. We believe that God providentially reigns over everything. That the great king is on the throne. And when we ask why, sometimes we're asking God, would you just explain this to me? And I've said this before, but I want a God that's bigger than what I can understand. I want to serve a God that if he, if he actually tried to explain it to me, I couldn't even get it. And that's what the Bible tells us. In Isaiah 55, the Bible says that his thoughts are so much higher than ours. Have you ever tried to explain something to a two-year-old? It doesn't work real well. All right. We give what? Short, simple directions because they can follow that. Because their capacity to understand and comprehend is nowhere near what ours is. And it's the same thing between us and God. Our ability to process and understand is nowhere near what his is. He's God. And so asking why is not always the most helpful thing. Number two. That just because God can use it doesn't mean he caused it. Just because God can use it doesn't mean that he caused it. And for many of us, we get into these tragic moments and our first reaction is, God, why did you do this to me? And I think that he's sitting back going, this wasn't what I wanted. I can use it. I can use this in your life and I will teach you something through it. And I will pull you a little bit further along in the journey because of this, but I didn't cause this. A long time ago, you guys broke the play. And right now you're living in a busted world. So just because God can use it doesn't mean he caused it. And the third is that God always offers a chance to recover, not just survive. God always offers us a chance to recover, not just survive. And there are many of us that have experienced tragedy in our lives. And all we've done is tried to survive. I just want to get through. I just want to, let me just make it to the next day. I just want to get past. I just want, 
And I believe that God's plan is to teach us how to navigate tragedy. So today, I want to go through five steps to recover from a tragedy. The first thing that I would give you today is that you need to release your grief. You need to release your grief. Everything that's tragic in our lives will inevitably be emotional. It's going to bring up and dig up emotions in our lives. And and the truth is, is that most of us have a hard time with that. Have you all ever seen the TV show Hoarders? That's my nightmare. If you know anything about me, even my my pencils on my desk are color-coded. All right? I mean, it is like, that is like the worst case scenario is that I have a nightmare and I'm trapped in a hoarder's house. And for some of you, in the wake of tragedy, your hearts look just like that. Because all you've become is an emotional hoarder. All of the thoughts and feelings and stuff that's going on, you just keep burying it and keeping it inside. Look what Jesus said in Matthew 5, 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. You see, if we don't mourn, we won't be comforted. Some of us, as hoarders, we repress the emotions of the tragedy in our lives. We continue to, let's not open up that box, let's push it back in. No, push, and we, tra- and we become that hoarding heart. Some of us don't just repress them, we actually rehearse them. Which means that as a rehearser, we take the negative emotions that are a natural part of grief and we continue to repeat them to ourselves. So we go back through the tragedy over and over and over and over again. And those same emotions continue to be fresh and fresh instead of releasing the grief. So how do we release grief? It's simply this, that you take all of that negative, all of that emotional stuff that comes in the wake of it and you give it to Jesus. You say, God, I absolutely don't understand this. I'm broken. I miss my friend. God, I don't understand why this happened in my life. I'm, I am, I'm really at a loss for what to do right now, God. God, life just doesn't feel the same. And you release that. It's important to release it to God first, but we also need caring people around us that we are willing to let it go. Because if we're not willing to let it go, if we're not willing to release our grief, we will eventually take our grief out on other people. I have seen some of the most 
angry people emerge in the wake of catastrophic tragedy because they weren't willing to release the grief that was going on inside of them. The second step of how to recover from a tragedy is that we must be willing to receive from others. We must be willing to receive from others. Galatians 6 2, the Apostle Paul says this carry each other's burdens by helping each other with your troubles. You see, the invitation of the gospel is not that we would walk alone through life simply following Jesus, it's that we would walk as a community following Jesus. The books in the Bible that are labeled Philippians, Colossians, Romans, were actually not written, most of them, to one person, but to churches. The promises that we read in there are not necessarily like, I can take them personally, but they were delivered to the church body. And we are invited to go on a journey with other people because you're going to need them. You're going to need them. You're going to need people around you when you go through a tragedy. And here's what you need from them. You need others' perspective, their support, their presence, and their encouragement. Because the truth is, is that you probably don't see the world very clearly in the wake of a tragedy. And you need someone who can come in and say, you know what? Kevin, I know you feel like everything is lost. Because my identity before I was burned at 12 was I, I was one of our baseball players in school. But because of my burns, I wasn't able to play baseball for three years. My identity was... I was one of the fun kids, but after I was burned, the fun kids didn't want a whole lot to do with the kid that was burned in sixth grade. And you need people that can come in, and you can't see it, but they can, and they can say, it's going to get better. You're going to be better because of this. We need to allow people to encourage us. Which leads to number three, that we have to refuse to be bitter. We must refuse to be bitter. I love this quote from Rick Warren. Rick Warren is a pastor in California. It's about a month ago. His son committed suicide. And him and and his wife gave a a television interview on on CNN not too long ago. Um, He said this. This is just brilliant. Listen to this. There is no connection between your experiences and your happiness. There's no connection between your experiences and your happiness. He said, I've seen people walk through the most difficult situations, but they choose to be happy. 
And I've seen people walk through mild difficulties and refuse to be happy. You see, we have to refuse to become bitter. Because bitter, bitterness will rob the life out of life. Bitterness will take that good part that God wants to constantly be infusing every moment with and it will just begin to taint it. Here are two things to keep us from becoming bitter. Step one is that we need to accept what cannot be changed. We need to accept what cannot be changed. In the wake of a tragedy, so use Rick Warren as an example, he cannot bring his son back. It's impossible. And at some point, you have to accept the reality of what's happened. Bitterness often comes because we refuse to accept it. I refuse to accept that this is, this is the way it is. It is what it is, and at that point, we have to accept what it is. But here's a beautiful reminder of what we need to do. We need to focus on what's left, not what's lost. We need to focus on what's left and not what's lost. Because if we continue in the wake of a tragedy to focus on what we've lost, we will inevitably become bitter. If the invitation of Jesus in the gospel is to authentic life, then we need to trust that whatever is left is life. Number four. We need to remember what matters. There's nothing like a difficult time to remind us what really, really matters. And the truth is, is that for many of us, we spend so much time working on stuff that can be taken from you in a moment. Your car can be taken from you. Your home can be taken from you. I don't know what kind of hobbies you have, but whatever possessions you have, they can be taken from you. But you know what can't be taken from you? Relationships can't be taken from you. Look at this verse out of Luke 12. Life is not measured by how much one owns. What really matters? Relationships. Ultimately, our relationship with Jesus matters. Ultimately, our relationship with Jesus is the life force in our lives. It is what's really funneling life into our hearts. But relationships with our friends and with our family, they matter too. And it's remarkable that God uses those moments to revisit our focus and to draw us back in and to see 
that we can focus again on what really matters. And then the last thing, that tragedy does this so well, it forces us to rely on Jesus. It forces us to rely on Jesus. The Bible tells us that we as Christians do not grieve as the world grieves. That's the beautiful thing about the gospel is that the gospel allows us to encounter tragedy in a completely different way. Because we don't grieve like those, and the Bible uses this term, we do not grieve like those who have no hope. Because in the gospel, we see the anchoring for hope in every situation. That if Jesus can overcome the grave, do you really think your financial problem is too big for God? If Jesus can overcome the grave, do you really think the fight that's going on between you and your spouse is insurmountable? If we accept the gospel, it gives us hope in every single situation. And we can grieve, not as those who don't have hope, but as those who do. In the middle of tragedy, Jesus gives us stability. Because he anchors our emotions into something that's a lot bigger than us. He gives us direction. Because he will order our steps and tell us where to go. And ultimately, in the midst of tragedy, Jesus gives us salvation. Let's look at John 16, 33. One more time. In this godless world, you will continue to experience difficulties. But take heart. I've conquered the world. I will honestly tell you that when I was 12, I thought my life was over. Because everything that I knew and that was normal to me was taken away. But as a 16-year-old kid, I felt God tell me, if you will come to me, surrender your life, I'll give you a life. And he has. He's been faithful to that. Because of what I am now, where I am now, I could never have been. See, I didn't, he didn't do that to me. He didn't, he didn't break that tragedy on me so that I could be this person today, but he used it. And I don't know where you are today. I don't know what exists in your past, but I can tell you that 
if you fully rely on Jesus. That, that life that you think is shattered right now. It might be a good thing that that life shattered because he can give you the life he wants to give you. Let's pray. God, for many of us today, we're in a place where it's just been a difficult season. And so, God, we just come to you because it's not easy. We come to you because we've got questions and things that have been going on in our hearts that we don't understand. We've come to you today, God, because we realize that there's no real way to get out of this mess. And so we just want to accept it and look into your heart and say, God, we just want to fully rest on you. For some of us today, God, we've, we've been running from doing that. And that means that the grief that we carry from that moment, God, it's just been buried inside of us. We've never let it out. For some of us, the hurt that has been associated with all this stuff that we've walked through, God, some of God, it's just, it's something that we continually bring this up and we run back through that. Then all of a sudden, in a fresh way, we're right back into the mess that we were. But God, I believe that the gospel that you've given us is not just so that we could survive, but that so we could recover. And so for many of us today, God, it's our, it's our prayers that we would do just that. So with nobody looking around, nobody stirring, nobody getting up, no movement, let me ask you a question today. And this question is for you. Are you fully relying on Jesus? Are you resting on him today? Or perhaps would you say, you know, I've been trying to do this in my own strength. And it just isn't working. Or you might say, I've been, I've been relying on somebody else. Maybe it's my spouse. Maybe it's a friend. But I've been really resting on them. I haven't been relying on Jesus. But maybe today you might realize that if you're ever going to make it through what you're going through, you're going to have to rely on him. Because in your own strength, you're not going to get there. So maybe today you want to commit to Jesus to say, God, I've been trying to do this my own way. I'm ready to do it yours. God, I've been doing this in my own strength. I'm ready to do it in your. I am ready to completely and totally rely on you. If that's you, I'm not going to ask you to do anything other than for this moment, just would you raise your hand if today you would say, I'm just ready. I want to rely completely and totally on Jesus. 
everybody else. And for those that are in the room today that might say, I've just been dealing with a tragedy. Maybe it happened 20 years ago. Or maybe it happened this last week. I've been walking through something that's been difficult. I haven't done a good job. But I want to commit to God that I'm going to do what it takes to not just survive this thing, but to recover from it. Because I believe that Jesus has life and I want his life, not mine. If that's you, would you raise your hand? That's awesome. So God, for those that have raised hands, those who have committed and said, you know, God, we've got this difficulty. We're feeling the resistance of the stream. But today, God, we just want to look into your heart and to rest on you. And we do that. God, you step in and be faithful because you're amazing to us. That when we feel like our life has been destroyed and is gone somehow by your great grace, it is there through your power, God. You give us life. And so we look to you in the name of Jesus.